Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this December 10th, 2022, winding down the last part of the year, getting very close to the celebration of Christmas, the celebration of our Lord's birth. And if you're going to start emailing us about how well, Christmas is a pagan tradition, and how dare you? And it's uh, and if you rearrange Santa, you get Satan. And I don't bother sending the email, please. <laughs> discussion we're just not going to go down. But we are uh, grateful for this time where we get to remember the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we have done a, a previous episode, and maybe we'll share that as a, uh, a rerun episode for you this month on uh, that without. Christmas, there isn't uh, an Easter, the birth, the incarnation of our Savior on this earth, taking on human flesh, that he could be our perfect representative so that he could live perfectly as a man and yet take the penalty of sin upon himself as the sinless Son of God and Son of Man. What what a, a wonderful thing to remember. And yes, it is commercialized. And yes, there are so many things that distract from it. And we as Christians, despite all that, need to make sure that we make that the forefront of any time we talk about Christmas, that it is about Christ. So welcome again to our program. We are so grateful to have you. As always, want to remind you, we are part of the Christian Podcast community and certainly encourage you to go check that out. Always want to ask you to consider visiting our website, website slavetothekeng.com. Uh, I do plan on some upcoming articles. I've got about two or three that I actually want to write. I just have not had time Uh Honestly, I really need to uh, to get Regan Rose's book on productivity. <laughs> Time management and me, we just don't get along. So, uh, you know, that might be a good Christmas present in case anybody's asking. I, <laughs> I could probably use that book. But I do have some uh, plans for some articles that I want to put on there. And uh, we also want you to sign up and be a follower of the website because that's when everything that gets updated on the site, whether it's uh, new articles, new show, whatever, that's where you're going to get uh, information. And again, you can always contact us. You can support us. You can get uh, uh, merchandise for the show, all linked to at slavetothekeng.com. And uh want to thank you again. You, you guys... Uh, were really great on the last episode it seems like you shared it a lot and we really got some good feedback we even actually had one of you comment directly on podbean uh, about how much you appreciated the show so we're grateful because that program is just one of those things that we want to be able to share with folks and help equip them because i think there's a and as a matter of fact the the folks that the, the individual that we cited who who responded to you rich uh took issue with us on on Twitter, uh, <laughs> so we we know that at least even our detractors were listening. So thank you. Uh, so you know, um, we're not going to get into an argument with our detractors. By the way, it, 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 he sent us a, a link. I, I need to share this with you, so you know how to read Genesis, sir. I know how to read Genesis. I read it the way Jesus did, literally. So um, <laughs> I'm not going to get into an argument with you if you think you know better than Jesus on how to read Genesis. You take it up with him. I'm, I'm going to read it the way he did. But the fact is, is that people listen to it. Even the our detractors, even the folks who disagreed with us, um, 
So thank you guys again for putting that out there. Thank you for letting us know that you're listening. And again, we just ask if if it, you, you think something about the show benefits you, if it helps you learn something, if it helps you refine your thinking on an issue, again, any program that you have found useful. Uh, we have six and a half years worth of programs. If there's something on there that is helpful to you, then we ask you to consider sharing it with someone else. Not because that's you know boosting us up in ratings. Trust me, we get nowhere near anybody's ratings. <laughs> you know, certain websites go, you want us to rate what? Who are you? Uh, <laughs> so we're not worried about that. We just want to be as much help as we can to the body of Christ, and we want to glorify his name. That's all we're looking to do. So we thank you for doing that. We thank you for those comments. And I just, one of those things I throw out there every once in a while, whatever platform that you listen to the program on just want to encourage you to consider leaving a review not because it you know pats us on the back or gives strokes our egos or anything but look if you go buying something on on amazon or uh you know walmart.com or something like that and you're considering is this a good product you look at the reviews and the reviews help people to know whether it's a good product or a bad product. And so whether you have a good review or a bad review, we encourage you to leave something there for others to consider whether this program is beneficial or whether it helps you in some way. So it doesn't do anything more than that, but we just ask you to consider doing that as well. So thank you for always uh, being patient through that little intro, but we try to put it out there because we do get occasional new listeners and we don't want to leave people in the dust on that. So uh, Rich, how are you doing this week? Glad, uh, glad to be back together with you, brother. Well, brother, I'm glad to be with you, and as always, I'm better than I deserved. In fact, to this week, uh, this week I was blessed far better than I was deserved by <laughs> you, and uh, and I have no idea who or how many, but all those that contributed to this wonderful gift I received this week, thank you, and I'm still speechless, and I really have no words to convey how much I appreciate the gift of the Kindle Scribe. In fact, I was able to use it for some some of tonight's show notes and the thing is just i'm still learning how to navigate it and all the different functions and features but i'll just say this thing is wild i mean <laughs> it is like <laughs> wild it, the cover you sent even is a smart cover so you, you turn the kindle scribe off close the cover and whenever you go to raise the cover off of it it turns itself on yeah and there's a lot of different settings to where when when you do that, it'll pull up and start right at the page that you left off on. Um, you can access all your different bookmarks, highlights, underlines, your handwritten notes that you put on it. Actually, I figured out I can now actually get someone, if I ever come across someone who has written a book that I have on my Kindle, I can actually now get an autographed copy of a <laughs> Kindle book. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, folks, I, I, just so you understand, uh, what Rich is referring to is uh, Amazon came out with a new type of Kindle called the Kindle Scribe, slightly bigger than the average Kindle. And I think the I have a paper white, which is about seven inches. I think the Scribe is about a 10 inch screen. It's so a little bit bigger, but it also has a unique uh, uh, pen, pencil, whatever that allows you to write in the e-ink e -ink format. So if you have, say, an iPad that has a pen that has Apple Pencil, think of that for a Kindle. 
And when they had shared that they were coming out with this, I was like, wow, this is a really neat device and shared the link. Cause I know there's a lot of us, we, we like gadgets and, and, and we like books and Kindle has some great stuff. So I figured people would be interested. Well, Rich, you know, expressed a, 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 a desire to be able to get one of those. Now these are not inexpensive items as Kindles typically are not. So what I did unbeknownst to Rich and unbeknownst to his family is the nice thing about Facebook is you can block people when you want to, when you, when you <laughs> don't want them to see something. So I blocked Rich and his family on a particular post. <laughs> and I asked if there is any way that people would be consider, would consider uh, joining with me to do this for him. Because what I have said this many times and people do not understand this really enough. It, there is no voice of reason radio without rich. Um, if there's a, if you have, are grateful for the links, if you're grateful for historical background, if you're grateful for the 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 content, a lot of the times that comes from Rich. Um, Rich often has to console me because I feel terrible because I don't come up with as much content as he can bring, and he's like, "Well, you have a job, I'm home." So, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, is that Rich is really the heart of this program. He brings so much more in that I just a lot of times don't have the time to do. And the, the interesting thing is sometimes it feels like I don't think people note what Rich contributes to the show as much as they interact, because I'm probably the more vocal one online. And I don't think what Rich does gets as much notice and gets as much attention. And sometimes as I think appreciated as much as as it, as it could be and it's not to, to to fault anyone that's just how social media is but i wanted to people to be able to thank rich for what he does and so many of you were very gracious i mean very gracious to come alongside and contribute now i've left people's names out because nobody expressed a desire to be known in their their contribution they just wanted to be able to help and so i i gifted it as from friends and listeners and family uh, to Rich F for everything that he does. And um, I hope it blesses you and I hope it helps you continue to learn lots of great stuff and help me do my job that I don't do nearly as well without you, brother. So <laughs> well, what, the, the part that I'm still a little bit amazed by is how you and my wife conspired for so many months behind my back in private text messages, planning this and keeping each other updated on yep. delivery and all these type of things. And I've teased her about that quite a bit because honestly, she did not even remotely hint at anything was going on. That woman can keep a secret when, when, you know, in a situation like this or whatever, but, um, seriously, and I've had it now since the first part of the week and I've already been extremely blessed by it. And, um, I think I told you this along with the device and the gift came four months of Kindle unlimited. Nice. And one of the books that we'll reference in tonight's show, I downloaded through the Kindle unlimited and have been reading through it and was able to pull out some notes that I thought would help and pertain to tonight's show. But on what you said, I do appreciate it, brother. And, and I deeply, deeply appreciate this, gift from you and all those that contributed to it but on, on what you were saying about 
basically I kind of stay in the background. Sometimes that is a great benefit. It's kind of like being an assistant coach. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the applause when things go great go to the head coach, but when things go completely bad and wrong and all the visceral comes out and name slinging and mud slinging and all that, you take the brunt of that, and I'm still kind of off in the shadow. So, you know, there are benefits to <laughs> playing the background support research department. So um, that was kind of a joke. But any, anyway, brother, I do appreciate so, it. So and, he claims and a I, joke. <laughs> I do appreciate it, brother. No, and absolutely. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm just thankful to be able to help do anything that spreads – the word of God and spreads truth. And, and, um, I have, I don't know if I'll say a knack, but when it comes to digging through research and pouring over boring statistics and data, that's right up my line. I find it interesting where most people would find it completely boring. It's just one of those things. And, you know, we, we joke about the fact that you have a real job in a real life. And <laughs> I have, more available time the sad thing is i still waste far more time than i yeah. should given the amount of free time i actually have but, yeah um, I, I know that i i might know a thing or two about that <laughs> but um th this program is definitely an, an endeavor of love and part complete partnership between you and i and you know we we, we help each other and our family helps us, and but most importantly, the Lord Christ himself helps us and guides us and directs us. And what we pray more than anything else is that through these episodes, someone is edified or encouraged because of what the Lord lays on our heart to discuss. Amen. Amen. Well, like I say, I pray that that device continues to help build your knowledge and, and your ability to contribute. And it's probably a good thing there's two time zones between us because I'm eyeballing it going, hmm, I'm not starting to like that. So <laughs> I may have to get one myself. <laughs> All right. So speaking of tonight's show, and, and we need to get going on this, is um, we're going to kind of, we, we're trying not to get into the the hot button topics of whatever hits Twitter. Unfortunately, sometimes when those things come up, they become really helpful teaching moments. And so earlier this year, I mean, we were discussing SBC stuff and all that kind of things. Well, the last couple of episodes have kind of been born out of online discussions. And so we're trying, we're trying to not make it specifically about the hot button, excuse me, hot button issue. <laughs> Suddenly had a hiccup. Um, but we are referencing like last time we talked about uh, the the issue of the sin of Sodom, because that was an online discussion because of what's going on with the uh, Respect for Marriage Act, which sadly has now passed both Senate and House. And I haven't heard if the... the um, how can I put this? The mentally bereft in chief uh, is... Well, that's going to get me in trouble. Uh, is going to be signing probably, if he hasn't, he probably very soon. But it, it sparked that discussion again. And so the, the last couple of programs have been born out of that. Well, another discussion came up online. And we want to reference this, this discussion and what was said because 
it's go- it, it is one of those instances where we've been trying to point back to the fact that the world does not get to define what is Christianity. The world doesn't get to define what the Bible says. The Bible in itself is sufficient. It is the basis for our uh, what we know about God. It is his revelation to us. And yet, as we continue down this path, again and again and again, we're going to see the world and those who profess to be Christians trying to say that this is not what the you know what everybody has always believed for 2000 years is not what the bible says i now can tell you what it says and so there was something posted by uh beth allison barr phd she is she by the way if you interact with dr barr she prefers to be referred to as dr barr now i say that not because i'm trying to cater to her i'm saying that because a lot of people called her Beth, and a lot of people called her by her first name as if they knew her. She took exception to that. Exception to that, she did make a comment of, "Hey, if you know me, if you're my friends, you call me Beth. If you if, if you're my students, you know that you call me this. If you don't know me, it's Doctor Barr. So I'm going to try to be respectful of what she's asked because she's earned that PhD. Whether I disagree with her vehemently on everything she says, she's earned that PhD. So I'm going to refer to her as Doctor Barr. She's uh, okay. She, I, go ahead. I want to ask. I want to ask a question. What is her PhD in? Because I'm going to be mean spirited right now. <laughs> I think it means professor of heretical doctrine because <laughs> as we go into tonight's topic, my thinking throughout this entire episode will be the her- heresy of feminist theology. Well, I would say that's probably a very good description of it. Um, however, she says uh, on her website she's earned her PhD in medieval history from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So, History professor, basically. Um, but I, I, I would I would also agree that your description of, of what that PhD means is probably also accurate. But she is a James Vardman professor of history. So what? Why does Beth Allison Barr make uh, you know say something that this tiny little podcast wants to address? It goes back to what does Scripture actually say? Now it's an odd tweet. So I'm, I'm assuming there were other tweets that, are, that preceded this that were not part of a thread because I couldn't find them. But she says, in sum, I cannot support a theology that limits God's calling for women simply because they are women. I cannot support a theology that centers on men simply because they are men. I cannot support a theology that ordains women to, to subordination simply because they are women. Now we're going to address those really reduced down points Um and, and talk about that, but she says, call it whatever you want, but if it argues, and she point, it has a little emoji pointing up to the previous tweet, I cannot support it. I understand why p- folks believe it, but I cannot agree with them. Sometimes you just have to cut to the chase. Now, my, mind you, a lot of people uh, took her to task on this. A lot of people responded to it. Uh, the interesting thing was that this maybe gives you some insight as to how she looks at Scripture, um, number one, every a lot of people, like somebody said, can you provide sufficient scripture passages to support this claim? I wrote a beat book. You can read that. Okay, so read her book. Don't worry about scripture, I guess. Um, but she says, so many replies to this tweet just break my heart for women living under these teachings. So this is... What you're getting, what we're talking about here, we're talking about somebody who says that if you're living under, if you are a, a woman living under biblical theology, you're something's happening to you that's so terrible. Her heart is broken, 
And then she says, y'all, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Go be free. So the, the, the that's what we want to address tonight is this issue of not only what does the Bible say about, you know, women and, and, and ministry and qualifications for ministry, uh, but we also want to address how we draw that out and how we don't read into scripture to eventually find ourselves right where she's at. Um, Rich, before we get going, what uh, any thoughts on what we've got going here? Well, I'd like to point out right out of the gate that she is diminishing women by her statements because you need to look at the context of what other religions in this world teach and have to say about women and their roles mm -hmm. in whether you want to call it their churches, temples, synagogues, whatever, versus what the Bible actually teaches. And this is, a, this is another case of where a blessing given by, given by God to individuals, and in this case a blessing given, given to women by God, is completely held in contempt, yep. twisted and morphed to where to, in today's world that blessing, they demand things beyond that blessing and, in fact, go to the point to where they demand things you know, of other people. But just to kind of put this a little bit in context of what she's saying about basically how the Bible demeans women and that the Bible is teaching women, you know, that, that it's wrong for women to be submissive and all these other things. I found an article, well, not an article, but it was a snippet in one, and I'll just read it. It said, a Hindu woman once said to a missionary, surely your Bible was written by a woman. The missionary asked, why do you say that? The woman replied, because it says so many kind things for women. Our writers never refer to us but in reproach. May I say to you that the Word of God is the one book that has elevated womanhood in this world. Paul preached this gospel in a world that saw woman, womanhood degraded and depraved. The preaching of that gospel lifted them up to their God-given place. It does not rule them out of ministry for God. But, and this is not in the snippet, but it does not rule them out of a ministry for God, but it clearly defines their role in ministry for God. And one great problem, especially in today's world, is that women such as this doctor, they're not satisfied with what God has blessed them with. They're not satisfied with what God has given to them. They want more. They demand more. They demand to go beyond what God has ordained in his word. And that in itself probably could be an episode on its own. But I just kind of wanted to lay that context out there that this statement by a Hindu in itself refutes some of her statements and her opinions and thinking when it comes to her view of how, you know, the word of God is quote unquote demeaning to women, because I think she posted that in a reply somewhere. Yeah. Some of the, some of her tweets and that associated within that comment were deleted. So, and I didn't screen screen shoot them in time or didn't really didn't think to, but some of those replies were deleted. Yeah. But, I got the, that and, was my, that was my impression that she was saying the Bible, you know, 
has evolved over time that we, we need to mm-hmm. take our modern thinking and infuse it into the Word of God and, and bring the Word of God into the modern culture that, you know, the Word of God in itself is demeaning women. It is limiting women. It is saying women can't do this, they can't do that, instead of focusing on how the Bible itself highlights women and lifts women up. And in the God-given roles, men have certain set duties and responsibilities. Women have certain set duties and responsibilities. But like I said, especially when when it comes to these quote-unquote Christian feminists, they're not satisfied with what God has given them. They want and demand more. Yes. But I just kind of wanted to throw all that in there to start. Yeah, and absolutely. And I do believe she did delete some things. There was, a, I, I, there was one where she said, I decided to stay, step back and take a different tone because this isn't about winning. It's about getting people to listen. It's about helping women. It's about making the church better. And she apologizes for some of her tweets not conveying a posture of kindness or inducing dialogue. Obviously, she got snippy, she got irritated, and she made some flippant jokes. Um, The thing I find interesting is that she says, if you disagree with me, that's fine. Well, it doesn't seem like it's fine. You've actually told us that the, the theology that we have is oppressive to women. That's not a fine difference. I mean, it's it, we're not talking about, hey, um, you know, you you say that you know baptism is for believers, and I say over here baptism is for the entire family, so therefore baptize your babies, and that's a very reduced discussion. But we're talking about one says this is who is allowed to preach. One says if you you know you have to let everybody who wants to preach. One is saying one. this is obedience and anything beyond it is disobedience to God. The other one is saying if you say it's disobedience to God, it's oppression. That's I'm going to absolutely take Miss, or excuse me, Dr. Barr to task. That's you're, You don't know. You don't believe it's fine. So what she goes on to say is, but I really wish you would think hard about why and commit to some reading from some folks who think differently than you about this. If you're certain you're right, you don't have anything to lose except a better understanding of the issues. Now, I will agree on one respect. There's absolutely nothing wrong with reading a person's opposing arguments. I think the the best way to be able to interact with somebody's argument is to actually understand it to where you can articulate what they believe. When you do that, you understand their argument, you respect who, uh, who they are, and you don't make caricatures and 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 misinterpret just so you can score points which we don't like that when it's done to us so we should do this show the same respect i agree with that here's the point though why is she saying read folks who think differently than you about this because the people who responded to her responded to her biblically she wants you to read her book and she's going to tell you what the how from her perspective how to read the bible not this is what the Bible says, thus let's draw it out, which is a part of the, the discussion to get into later. So, um, interestingly, by the way, I saw this before the show started. Uh, when we understand the text, happened to share a screenshot of Thomas Horrocks. We've talked about him on the show before. And he posts a very flippant tweet where he says, Women, preach the gospel and effectively lead churches. No, you, that's actually not happening. Uh, Theobro, Theobrogens, but they aren't real pastors. They're not, and we'll talk about that. Gay people enter into lifelong co- covenantal relationships of mutuality and self-sacrificial love. 
No, they're not. And we talked about that in like the last two shows. Theobros, but those aren't real marriages. Silly Theobros. This is the problem. This is reducing the argument down to the, 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 the merest shadow of what we're actually saying, which is what the problem with Dr. Barr's statement is. So before we get into the details, let me just address what she said here. I can't support a theology that limits God's calling for women simply because they are women. Stop right there. We're going to get into the qualifications. But understand something. It is not simply because they are women. It is because God, in his wisdom, has structured the church in such a way that it reflects his relationship with his people. That what we do in submission to him in the functions of the church is reflective of his relationship to us. So when we submit to God, we're submitting in, in, in these things, we're submitting to him in all things, right? When the church reflects publicly, here's how we submit to the Lord. We take his word seriously. We are teaching that submission to God is part of the of, of the of the gospel message. When we come before Christ and we repent of our sins and we submit to the command to repent and trust in him, that is a submission to Christ. So, you know, this idea of obedience and submission is not what it saves us, but it is a picture of what it takes to come to Christ. We no longer stand for ourselves, we stand for Christ. So the next thing, of course, is you know the, the theology that she can't support a theology that centers men because they are men. That's not what is happening. God has not said there are men who are to lead because they are men. It is because God has structured the family and the church to be reflective of Christ and the bride of Christ, Christ and his church. So again, this is a this is a reductionistic view, and she says the same thing about the idea of a she can't support a theology that ordains women to subordination because they're women. Again, that's not what is in view. It is everything that we are doing is a reflection of our relationship to God as a whole, and it's a testimony of that submission to God. So when you see an argument like this, first understand. She is not arguing what biblical theology says. She has taken a caricature of it. The very thing that she doesn't want you to do, she wants you to read other people's books so you they understand, you understand their argument. She refuses to do with biblical Christianity. Rich, um, I think I, before I go on, was there something you wanted to add on that? Well, I just want to point out that within her statement about women in preaching, that is just is a great example of American evangelicalism's complete failure to understand what it means to be called to mm -hmm. preach. And that would be something either you and I should discuss on a future episode. Actually, I would really love for Eki and Nathaniel to discuss it since they both are pastors. But the problem isn't that women are not called to preach. The problem is most men who are preaching today are not actually called to preach as mm -hmm. defined by the Bible. They make preaching a career instead of being called to preach. They make a career choice to preach. And if you don't think I'm right, look across the landscape of American evangelicalism and look at the number of quote unquote gay churches or 
churches that have a woman pastor. That in itself is proof of the complete failure of seminaries and churches to really explain what it means to be called to preach. It's not the fact that women can't be called to preach. Most of the men who are out there preaching are not qualified to be preaching, period. Amen. And that's actually one of the things we're going to get get into in just a little bit. So one of the things that we often hear, and by the way, I I know Eki and Nathaniel have talked about women preaching in the pulpit. If you go to... um, Oh, goodness, my brain just went blank. Uh, why do I do this to myself? Um, truth Be Known. Truth Be Known podcast. Oh, thank you, Rich. Thank you for saving me. My brain went completely blank, which happens more often than it should. Um, but if you go to a Truth Be Known podcast, I think one of the more recent ones did address that And they, uh, as far as women preaching in the pulpit. And I can assure you, as pastors, they talked about the qualifications and what it means to preach. So please go check them out. Um, now, one of the issues that we we almost always see, because we're going to get into the qualifications and we're going to get into Paul's admonition of who can and can't preach, almost guarantee you, and, and thank you to Michelle Leslie, and, um, I did, I'm not quoting her, I actually went through these and, and looked at the, the points myself, but I'm going to share it in the show notes. Michelle Leslie has on her website, uh, Rock Your Roll, Oh No She Didn't, Priscilla didn't preach, Deborah didn't dominate, and Esther wasn't an egalitarian. And she actually addresses much of these as well. The reason I referred to it is I wanted to double check, make sure I wasn't missing one of the the often referred to women of the Bible who they say, well, this is why women can preach. Look at all of this. Okay, And she does a great job discussing those. I just wanted to go and address it from our perspective on this one, but I, I encourage you to read her article and get that out there and share it, especially as these arguments come up. But we're going to go through some of these, and I just want to point out who you're going to hear referred to, and I want you to give you guys something to think about, about what this person actually did versus what they're being used as evidence for. Okay, So the first one is Deborah in Judges 4. Deborah was referred to as a prophetess, she was, an, uh, she was a judge who judged issues between people in, in Israel, meaning people would come to her with issues and she would make a judgment on what was going on on that issue. Now, she, she's, that's how she's introduced in Judges 4. The next thing we see her doing is going to Barak and tells him, God ha- has not God con- uh, commanded you to go and fight the Canaanites. So her primary message, her primary role as revealed in Scripture is to go to one person, Barak, who's supposed to lead the armies of Israel against the armies of Canaan, you know, to to fight against Sisera. That's what she's sent to do, to go deliver this particular message. The reason she gets more involved is because Barak refuses to obey God. She, he, she's not supposed to go to battle. She's not supposed to go with him. Barak disobeys God. Says, unless you go, I won't go. So she tells him, okay, I'm going to go with you. By the way, it doesn't say she was engaged in the battle, nor that she was commanding armies. She went with him. And that, um, she, that because of his refusal to obey God, the glory that he would have been re- received in battle 
is going to go to a woman who later smashes a tent peg into uh, Sisera, I think it just said, and kills him. So the Barak, who's supposed to go into battle, would have had the glory for winning the war, defeating the general, driving back the Canaanites. His name is not remembered for that victory. It is this woman, Jael. Why is that important? Why does that stand out as an exception? Because that's not what those two women were called to do. When we look at everything up to Judges 4, when you look at who did God call as leaders, they were the men, uh, men, uh, the men uh, uh, who were to lead Israel, who were the priests, they were men, who were the, uh, the, the people leading in battle, they were men, who were the judges up until Deborah, they were men. God had called these men, and we get to this point in time, and the men are not obeying God. So much to the point when he sends something that should stand out very brightly, <laughs> a, 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 a woman who's a prophetess and sent as a judge to tell him what to do, he still refuses to be obedient to God. Now, it says she is a prophetess. I think a lot of people try to make something of that. Here's the thing. We're not told what she prophesies. We're not told to whom she prophesies. It only says that she is a prophetess. A lot of people will try to say, well, that means, where does that say that in Scripture? We are not told that. You have to import something to assume that that means she was prophesying over the, the congregation, that she was telling the kings and queens or telling the people of Israel, men and women. It does not tell us this. It only tells us that she is a prophetess. So what do we know? What was she not? She was not a priest. She was not a teacher of the Jews. There's nothing that says that she was. She didn't make offerings to God on behalf of the people. She did not lead in battle. None of these things are described in Scripture. What did she do? She was obedient to say exactly what she was supposed to say and to whom she was supposed to say it. She did not seek to promote herself or, uh, or the women of Israel. In fact, she told the men, go do your job as God has commanded you. And because you did not, there's going to be a judgment against you. She specifically pointed them to God and said that, uh, they, that Israel was to be obedient to him. So this is a woman who was obedient to the call of God for a specific purpose in a specific place in a specific time. She was not given a role of priest or king or queen or any of these other things. She was given a specific duty. And while she is called uh, said to be a prophetess, and it is said that she was a judge for the people of Israel, that is not the same as leading the church or leading the congregation of Israel as a priest or a preacher or a teacher. We don't know what she did as a prophetess. In fact, she clearly prophesied in speaking to Barak. So, as far as we know, the only reason she is a prophetess, based on what Scripture tells us, is that she prophesied, Thus saith the Lord to Barak. Okay, so that's Deborah in Judges 4. Uh, we go to 2 Chronicles 3... Um, did I, is it 3, 4 or 34? I think it's 34, excuse me. <laughs> I apologize. 2 Chronicles 34. We are introduced to Huldah. Huldah is described as a prophetess. Now, what's the backstory to Huldah? Josiah is now made king. 
They are rebuilding the temple. He's trying to be obedient to God. They come across the book of the law, which I like what I'm going to quote Michelle on this one. I thought this was rather funny. Let me see if I can find this again. Um, here, uh, quoting, she was sent during the reign of Josiah when the temple was being repaired and the priest hadn't even been able to find the book of the law for years. <laughs> I really love that. We didn't even know where it was. We're priests. We're rebuilding the temple. We don't even know where God's word is. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I think that was great. But they were rebuilding the temple. They come across the book of the law. They bring it to Josiah. They And uh, he says, take it to Huldah. Now, we don't know why they know Huldah. Okay? We know that in both Deborah and Huldah's place, they were described as having they were a wife of, and I forget the, the husband's name off the top of the name, but that was kind of interesting that the scriptures make sure that the first thing they tell us is this is the wife of this person they and that this person is a prophetess. Again, doesn't tell us what prophecies, doesn't tell us to whom those prophecies were given, were given and it doesn't tell us why Huldah would have known. We only know that the priests, for some reason, knew she would have a reason or they, they could go to her for a reason. So they go to her and say, we're told to come to you with this. And she prophesies judgment on Israel because of its lack of obedience, because it has not honored the word of God and has not obeyed the word of God. And then she says to, to, to Josiah to, through these messengers, however, this judgment will not come during Josiah's reign. Why? Because he humbled himself in obedience. He sought to honor God. And that's it. That that's all we know of Huldah. She was a prophetess. She was known to the uh, uh, the certain people in Israel. They knew that they could come to her with this, and she gave a specific prophecy to the king that there would be judgment on Israel because of what its lack of obedience. So she prophesies to this specific person this specific message. And yet, also prophesies that it will not happen during Josiah's reign because Josiah seeks to bring himself and the people of Israel into obedience. I want you to notice that both times. What are we talking about? Women who honored God by being obedient to his specific command. Again, what was she not? She was not a priest. She was not a teacher of the Jews. She did not make offerings. There's no indication other than being said that... Um, as I said, that she was a prophetess. There's no indication of what those prophecies were or to whom they were given. Only that we know she, as a prophetess, she prophesied to the the men of Josiah. Like Deborah, she is appears to be an exception because of the disobedience of Israel. In both cases, in Je, in, in the case of Judges four, in the second, in the case of Second Chronicles thirty four, these are women who stand out because. There is great disobedience in Israel at that time. That that and yet these women, because they desire to honor God and do specifically what He said, they are mentioned for their obedience. What is not being said is therefore, be because these exceptions occurred, we now can make a rule that down the road we can apply this elsewhere. This is descriptive what of what happened at that time. These are descriptive texts. There's nothing in these texts that say this is now prescriptive. 
something else to consider. Another one is the uh, is Queen Esther, she, the book of Esther, the entire book. She is a queen. She is made a queen at the dictate of the king. She's never given any authority to do anything. In fact, she could not speak to the king without his permission under penalty of death. When, uh, when it is when the message of Haman is is brought uh, brought to her about what Haman plans to do, Mordecai tells her this is what's going to happen. And says, you need to take this to the king. She says, if I go without his permission, if I am not, get, if he doesn't, you know, raise his scepter to me to let me come in, I could cost me my life. So there's nothing, there's no a power in her position. And yet, she is obedient to bring this message to the king because it concerns her and her and, and her people, the Jews. Haman wants them dead. He kind of sneakily pr- uh, brings something to the king and says, there's these people that are disobedient to you. We need to put them all to death. The king says, okay, here, here's my ring. Sign the order. You put it together as you need. When he finds out what happens, it is the king who makes a law allowing the uh, the Jews to take, uh, take up arms and defend themselves. She never has demonstrated as having any authority She's never demonstrated as having any uh, anything other than being in the person in place that God wanted to have this message delivered to the king. Again, not a priest, not not a prophetess, not a judge, not a teacher, and as a queen, she had no power or authority. She only had the ear of the king. So again. People will point to this and say, well, she was a queen and she led and she had power and authority. No, she did not. She was there at the desire of the king. Now, moving toward the New Testament, a couple more examples. Woman at the well, you know, the Samaritan woman, the adulteress. She's she's an outcast from society. We know this because she comes at the middle of the day when nobody is drawing water. She's uh, obviously well-known as an adulteress. During her discussion with Jesus, he points out, because he probes a little bit, and he says, go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. You're right, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had four husbands, and the man you're with now is not your, is not your husband. Utterly reveals the, na- the nature of her sin. Just play, play, uh, lays it out. And during that discussion, reveals himself as Messiah. What does the woman at the well do? <laughs> Leaves her water jar, uh, jug and hot puts it back to town. Here's where we see people try to say, well, this is proof of woman preaching. In fact, Rich, you and I can remember quite a while ago a, a, a firestorm that was uh, that was brewed about the idea of this was an example of a woman open-air preaching and evangelism. <laughs> Discussion we won't go down there right now. But this this was... This was an example. People says, well, see, she was preaching. This is an evidence of a woman preaching. In fact, they try to say that of the women who shared that the fact that Christ was risen because they talked to the angels. This is not an example of a woman preaching. What does she do? She went back to the town and told uh, the people a specific message. She'd met a man, a man who had told her all the sins that she had ever committed. She asked, "Is this, could this be the Christ? And then she says, come and see. That's it. That's the totality of Scripture regarding the woman at the well. 
What we do know is later the people who came said initially we told her, initially we believed because of what you said, but now we've heard him and we truly believe. That's it. That's the totality. There's no indication she ever did anything more. She did what all Christians are actually commanded to do, bear witness of Christ. That's exactly what she did. The best we could say is that she evangelized. There's no indication she stood on a, uh, at a pulpit. No indication she stood up on a stump. No indication she preached to everyone and said, there, there's this man who is the Christ, come and repent and have me forgiven. She says, I've met a man that I think might be the Messiah who told me everything I've ever done. Get out here and take a look. That's it. She didn't pray with anyone. She didn't command anything. She didn't do anything more than what all Christians everywhere are commanded to do, which is to bear witness of Christ. That's it. Again, there's nothing here that indicates that she was preaching, leading, having authority over. Well, there's men and women. I'm sure that she talked to all of them. It doesn't say who she spoke to. It says she went and told the people. She could have gone and told all the ladies and the ladies told her husband. We don't know. She could have ran into a crowd of people and said, I found Messiah. That we, we don't know the specific details because scripture doesn't tell us that. It only says that she went and spoke to the people. So again, this is not, there's nothing here that would say that we are to draw from this. Women now have authority in the church. Two more to go through. And I think that we can wrap it from there as far as this part of it. Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla, the wife of Aquila. Uh, Acts chapter 18. We are first introduced to them because they were uh, supporters of Paul. He had come and lived with them. They they did the same line of work. They were supporters of Paul. So these are people that he, he befriends in his missionary journeys. He, uh, they support him. He works with them. He commends them in let, later le uh, letters. We'll talk about that in a second. In chapter 18, what we learn is is that there is an individual by the name of Apollos who, not knowing of Christ, not knowing the, the gospel of Christ, come and preaches the, the, uh, from the baptism of, of John the Baptist. So he loves the Lord, wants to preach the truth, but is preaching an incomplete message because he doesn't know of Christ. What happens? They take him aside and speak, uh, speak to him of Christ. They clarify his understanding of scripture at this point as husband and wife they are talking to him is there any indication that aquila was leading the discussion is there any indication that aquila or, or excuse me priscilla was leading the discussion or that she had authority no what we have is what all christians are commanded to do edify the brethren so when we come together and we are sharing in our gifts. Some are teaching, some are praying for, some are uh, you know, comforting, some are healing you know, in, in various ways. We are to edify the brethren. Here are two people who had been taught directly by Paul. They are sharing with another Christian of what, who is Christ, and he is the fulfillment of what John the Baptist was pointing toward. <clears throat> that's it. That's all we, that's all we know of that set of conversations. There's no authority over Apollos. There's no authority of, uh, that she's that they established, that they, she's put in authority of the church. There's no indication of that. Now, um, later, 
in his letters, Paul refers to them in t- in, and commends them in two ways. In Romans 16.3, he refers to them as fellow workers. Okay, Priscilla is described as a fellow worker, both of them, Priscilla and Aquila. Later, in 1 Corinthians 16.19, he is commending them as a part of a group where he says, uh, he's, you know, just, you know, you know, commending them, and he says, together with the church in their house. Now, that's not saying that Priscilla and Quilla were the pastors of the church. They were meeting in Priscilla and Quilla's house. We don't have any indication that Priscilla was leading anything. Assuming for a second Aquila was the pastor, that doesn't mean that she was leading. There's very little said about her contribution, and there's very little said or nothing that would indicate that she led or pastored in any way. But because, well, here's an example of a woman t- talking to, to a man and teaching him. What it is an example of is a husband and wife doing what Christians are supposed to do, edifying another brother and fully helping him understand the gospel. That's all it, it evidences. And she was being obedient to this. Again, going back to the Samaritan woman at the well. She did what all Christians are commanded to do. She was obedient to go tell, I found the Messiah. Again, issues of obedience. The last one is Phoebe in Romans 16, uh, verses 1 through 2. She is described as a servant or deaconess. I know that there are some that try to say, well, actually, that, that word is a stronger word. It means, but it is not, there's nothing in that. In what is in her description that says she's a pastor or a leader, she's a servant, a deaconess, and that she's a patron of many, including Paul. In other words, she supports Paul. That's it. Only description of her. They they try to make deaconess a stronger word to say, well, that's evidence that she led, she had authority over. But there's nothing in Paul's writings that indicate that they that she simply serves. And that she is a patron of many and supportive of many, including himself. So she's, he notes her because she is worthy of, she's, that she should be commended and that she should be welcomed in a worthy way. And a straight indica- uh, reading of this would indicate little more than she was an obedient servant in the church. So you have to assume something more. You have to dig in and bring in something more to assume that her position within the church was anything more than serving and supporting. So, Rich, those are the ones we we hear the most often. These are the all these are the these are the spotlight examples of women who lead and teach. Is there anything in that that would in, indicate to you that they're um, that they're doing anything more than? being obedient servants before we go into this next part. Absolutely. Absolutely nothing, brother. Um, in fact, it just helps clarify the biblical role that women have within the church. They are not exceeding the commands within the scriptures of women's roles, but these are highlights of some of the roles that some women have played in scripture because we know scripture never contradicts scripture now there may be portions of scripture that we have harder a harder time understanding what it means within the context but that's why we compare scripture to scripture because it never contradicts itself but it always exalts the word of god and when you start taking 
modern thinking and trying to apply it towards the Word of God and try to import the culture into the Word of God. Basically, mo- more people today try to interpret Scripture through the lens of culture and try instead of trying to interpret culture through the lens of Scripture. And when that happens, you start coming across all different forms and types of heresies where people twist and morph Scripture into what they want it to mean instead of what God actually intended for it to mean. Mm-hmm. Amen, that amen. That makes sense. No, absolutely. So we've gone through all of that, and I'm realizing that took much more time than I thought it was going to take. So what we're going to do is I'm going to wrap up with one more point here, and then, folks, what I want to do is, because there's so much more we want to get into to address Dr. Barr's statements, that we're going to carry this over to next week. So here's what I want to wrap up with, Rich. In every single one of these things, I think you guys heard me say a specific word, obedience. Every single one of these, it was an example of of godly women in radical obedience to the Lord. Think about what it would have been to go as a woman in the uh, the period of the judges to go to a man and say, get off your backside and go fight because God has commanded you. Imagine having the king send his people to you and say, we have this book. What are we supposed to do with it? Uh, well, just so you know, because y'all have disobeyed it, God's going to judge Israel. Imagine being the queen, made a queen, only because the king basically got rid of his previous queen because she wouldn't just bow to his every whim at a time when that was expected. And if you come to him to talk about how his right-hand man wants to kill your people, you could die. Imagine being the adulteress that the entire city knows how your history, you're the talk of the town, and you come and say, this man has just told me all my sins. He doesn't know who I am. I think he's Messiah. Imagine being so desirous to serve the Lord that you give of your own home, your own resources to support a preacher of the gospel and to edify the saints as as you recognize this is a man of God who wants to preach, but we want him to really know that there's there's more. There's the gospel he needs to understand. That's what every one of these women did. They never walked outside their lane. They never went any further, as you said, Rich, than what God called them to do. They never said... Here's more for women. They said, be obedient to God. They, ne- they proclaimed God's own words of judgment to those who were disobedient. They faithfully su- uh, served and they never complained of where they were called to serve. Recognize that. We see nothing of Priscilla or Phoebe other than these are servants to be commended. There was no indication that they were seeking more. They never spoke in contradiction to God's word. Now, I want you to recognize that because we're going to talk about this next week. God's word actually establishes who's to, to lead the church. 
and what it means to lead. By the way, leading is not something that's glorious. I, I like what John MacArthur says when he, when he, in the 2019 Shepherds Conference, he says, by the way, the, I forget which passage he was referring to, he says, but this passage describing the pastors, it's the, the word used is, is often used of the third lowest level galley slaves in a ship. That's how low the, the position of pastor is. It's that kind of servant. They did not pit God's word against itself in an effort to get it to argue something against he clearly commanded. They, do, they weren't trying to say, well, I know it says this, but what it really means is that. What they said is, here's what God said to, to, told me to tell you. And there's not, every one of them glorified God by doing exactly what he called them to do. Please understand that. He did, they did exactly what he called them to do and to say. And none of this, none of them ever gave evidence that they were attempting to do more. And in fact, in the case of Deborah, they actually rebuked a man for wanting her to do more than what God called him to. Remember, Deborah said, I'm here to deliver this message. Barak says, well, unless you go with me, I'm not going. She goes, and she rebukes him. She says, now the glory that you would have received as the leader of the armies, you will be take, will take him from you because I wasn't supposed to go with you. None of them ever give evidence that they did wanted to do more than what God called them to. Radical obedience to God. Why do people like Deborah or Hulda stand out? Because they are the exceptions. They are descriptive moments that God shows at a time when there is radical disobedience in the land. And these women are given a specific task to deliver a specific message. And that's all we hear of from them. That's it. We know that other things happen, but we are not privy to that. We are never told what that is. Why is that? Because God's word is clear. God gave specific roles to us. Rich said it. Just because you know, to, to challenge Dr. Barr, men are not centered because they are men. Specific men are called into the position that they are to be lowest level obedient servants not to be glory-seeking spotlight chasers. And they are called in that position because it is reflective of God's relationship with the church because we have roles. Every Christian, every Christian, man and woman, have gifts that we are given specifically for the glorification of God and the edification of the saints. Understand that. Glorifying God, not self, glorifying God and edifying the saints. Guess what's not in there? Self. It's not about what I want. It's not about me being lifted up. It's me being humbly obedient to the calling of God and for His glory. When someone like Dr. Beth Allison Barr says, that she's doing this because she wants to elevate women. She wants to help women. What she's saying is women need to be up here in the spotlight so they are quote-unquote equal with men. And that if you are told to submit, and guess what? We are all called to submit in specific ways. If you're called to submit, she weeps for you. She's brokenhearted. 
because you can't achieve your, your highest potential, essentially. So we took some time. We went through these passages. took much longer than I anticipated. I apologize for that. But we're, we're going to carry this over next week. We're going to talk about what the standards of a preacher are. What, what are the prohibitions? What was the backdrop? Rich has some great information on the backdrop of what Paul was writing to people like Timothy. <clears throat> what, why was he addressing this? What was going on historically? Then we're going to talk a little bit about the history of the feminist movement and how we got where we're at. And we're going to point this all to a specific issue. Exegesis versus eisegesis. What does the scripture say and what are we drawing out in verses? What are we drawing into scripture because we have an outside perspective? Something outside of scripture advising and filtering for us. So we thank you for your time this week. My apologies. I really wanted to get through all of this, but... I think it's going to be a good carryover into next week. So thank you for your time this week. Uh, Rich, any last thoughts before we let everybody go? Whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the biblical way of salvation at least once a day. Amen. 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 God bless all of you. Thank you for your time. We're going to cut you out of here and let you get back, get back to your the thing, other things that you listen to. Spend time with your family. But as Rich said, go preach the biblical way of salvation to somebody this week whatever you do for this week do it for the glory of god we will see you next week god bless you good night